And at 12, 13 years old, I struggled severely with OCD, which is obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. disorder to the point where it was debilitating, where I'd wash my hands till they would bleed at, you know, and I'd have to put neoprene gloves on at night with neosporin and cause I'd go like this and I'd crack, my hands would crack and they'd start bleeding. And yeah. so that's a life that I'm living on behind one side. And on the other, you know, I'm this popular kid. I was, you know, athletic. I always got, I, you know, had a lot of friends and was, you know, loved, just kind of always had a girlfriend. It was yeah. just, it, it was living this double life. Hey, it's Emily here. You know that uniqueness you have? I call it the it factor. We all have it, but some of us either really need to identify it or start to empower it. This show is all about giving you the lessons, tools, and principles I've learned after building a nine-figure sales organization, training leaders around the globe, and working alongside of some of the most influential people in this world. So now it's time to de-plug from your outside world and plug in to your new world here. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by a guy that you maybe grew up, if you're like me, an 87 baby, watching him on Laguna Beach or even the hills. He is a TV personality. And to be quite honest, I'm more excited about him now in the work that he is doing. He is changing lives. He is really talking about his past, his experiences with addiction, and I am honored to have him on the It Factor show. Welcome, Jason Waller. Hi. Thank Hi. you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. That was quite the intro. No, of course. I'm grateful to be here. Oh, you know, I got to say, like, I it's funny. I feel like I grew up watching you, um, and it's so interesting because when I was reading about you I'm like oh he's literally an 87 baby like yep. you're we're like the same exact age and uh just to see the man you've become and I know that hasn't been easy for you is awe-inspiring no I I really appreciate that um life has definitely been a journey um but you know I I I'm just so grateful for the road that I had gone through to get to where I'm at today because it's allowed me to find you know, a sense of purpose and passion and, and to really be able to give back and I wouldn't change mm. anything, but it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm just very grateful to be here. Absolutely. Take us back. Like, like when, tell us your whole story. Cause some people don't, I don't, don't know. Have time for they're that. Li they're living under a rock. They don't yeah. know. Uh, tell us your story. Okay. Um, I think, you know, the, the, how do I, can I sum this up for you guys? I mean, born and raised in Laguna beach, mm -hmm. Uh, come from a, a family of four. I'm the youngest of four kids. Um, you know, uh, grew up loving baseball. Um, that was kind of my passion, my dream of, of growing up. Loved surfing, loved skateboarding, um, uh, loved anything outside. Really, that was kind of my kind of my thing. And um, as I uh, started to to get older, um, you know, I, I mean, I went to uh, El Moro um, uh, Elementary School, went to Thurston Middle School, went to Laguna Beach High School. Um, in high school, uh, I started to struggle with, you know, mental health and addiction issues, mm -hmm. uh, around 16, 17 years old, went away to boarding school, um, actually went to a wilderness program first, then I went, went away to a boarding school. Um, and then from there I came back and I was on a show called Laguna Beach, mm -hmm. um, which was, which was a trip. Um, 
And then from there, and we can go back and touch on all this stuff. Yeah, but just yeah, kind of yeah. give you, a, you know, just a snapshot of it. Went from Laguna Beach uh, to the Hills, and then uh, which was another show. And then from the Hills, I went to Celebrity Rehab. So you can kind of see my career. It was a very uh, up and downward uh, trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, struggled, you know, very publicly with it. Struggled with addiction. Um, you know, I I had gone to. I always tell people, kind of my my snapshot of my story is from the ages of eighteen to twenty three years old. I went to. 12 different treatment centers from Florida to Hawaii, every state in between, uh, dealt with a lot of issues with the, with the law. And, um, you know, uh, we just went through a very mm. trying time. Um, you know, my addiction not only took me to contemplation, but attempting suicide. Mm. Um, but, uh, by the grace of God, I was able to make it out of that. And, you know, July 23rd, 2010 is when I really entered into, into sobriety and, um, that was the real beginning of my journey, um, where I really made a commitment to change. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, it wasn't a smooth road from there. Uh, definitely had its, its ups and downs and, um, but I was able to acquire five years of sobriety make, you know, a, a real transition in my life. I finally got to a place of willingness and mm-hmm. surrender and, um, you know, it, it dedicated my life, uh, back to God and back to, yeah. you know, to a, a life that, uh, was, uh, but I was, you know, because my addiction robbed me of so much stuff. I mean, it took everything that I loved away from me, and I was able to find myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, I got lost for a, a long time, and and then through that, there, that was not the end of my addiction story. Because unfortunately, after five years of sobriety, I ended up going back out, um, and there's a whole story there. Um, and after on and off for about two and a half, three years, I ended up landing at the first floor at Hogue Hospital uh, in detox, where my wife was giving birth to our daughter on the fourth floor. And so, um, again, you'd think that may be enough, but addiction being cunning, baffling, and powerful, that wasn't enough. And went back out for a little bit, was intervened on, then finally entered back into recovery and, mm-hmm. and uh, have multiple years now today in front of you. But that's like, that's literally like the cliff notes yeah, of the, no. there's, there's so much in each little section, Absolutely. but um, uh, I almost, <laughs> when I think about it, I get a little overwhelmed of like, yeah. where do I start on some of this no, stuff? Because that's... there's a lot there and a lot that's happened and, uh, but again, happy to talk about any of Yeah. That. Yeah. No, thank you for that. When, when was the first time you were like, oh, this is a problem? Like how old were you? You know, it's, it's a good question. I've been asked that a lot, um, just over the years. And I think when I really look at it, like probably it's like 17, 18, 19 years old, it was like mm-hmm. brought to my attention, but it was something that I could, you know, I could acknowledge, but I wasn't willing to accept. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd say in my early twenties was when I was like, okay, there's definitely, okay. It's not normal to be getting arrested like this. It's not normal. Like cause I, ca- I always thought I was going to grow out of it mm-hmm. and addiction is a disease of denial. Yeah. And so it's this kind of back and forth thing. Cause time heals. And obviously as, as time goes by, you're like, eh, there's not an issue, you know, but mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really say in my, my 22 years old, 23, um, I really, really understood that I was struggling and it was at a place though, where I was at a I didn't care anymore. I was willing to give up. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I was willing to take my own life. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you, like, were people, like, trying to get you help? Or were you like, I need help? Or <laughs> Yeah, so, know? I mean, going back, you know, like, again, when I, like I told you before yeah. the show's even started, my parents and I was at a wilderness camp and boarding school, like, <clears throat> my parents did everything that they possibly could to their knowledge. You have to remember this is 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And so there's only so much knowledge resources, you know, and, and, and people that are talking about this, right? How to navigate it. And so I had tremendous support from them. Um, but also it was 
a very, very new territory and a new landscape for everybody. The entertainment industry back then, you have to remember, this was before social media. This is like only oh when people gosh. had cable television. Yeah. And at 18, we had established a lot of our own success, our own identity. And and so again, as at 18, you're, you're, you're an adult. You know, your parents only have so much financial or, or only so much support over you. And most kids at 18 back then, you know, your parents have financial restraint on you so they can leverage you in that way, but they didn't, or we had our own success. Right. And so again, is is, yeah, 12 different treatment centers from 18 to 23. A lot of people were trying to help and support. And that was whether it was, you know, I was appeasing the family, appeasing courts, appeasing girlfriends. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of people trying to help. Um, but again, as it was with me, I just, I didn't want to accept what was really going on. And <clears throat> after doing all this work and being at where I'm at today, I can honestly see that I struggled with addiction before I ever picked up a drink or a drug. And so when I look back when I was 12 or 13 years old, which is really important to unpack all this stuff because I think knowledge is power and it helps me understand where I was at. Mm -hmm. And at 12, 13 years old, I struggled severely with OCD, which is obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. disorder to the point where it was debilitating, where I'd wash my hands till they would bleed at, you know, and I'd, I'd put neoprene gloves on at night with neosporin and, I'd go like this and I'd crack, my hands would crack and they'd start bleeding. And yeah. so that's a life that I'm living on behind one side. And on the other, you know, I'm this popular kid. I was, you know, athletic. I always got, I, you know, had a lot of friends and was, you know, loved, just kind of always had a girlfriend. It was yeah. just, it, it was living this double life. So there was yeah. this kind of double life I was living on the outside. Nobody knew what I was experiencing behind closed doors. Plus on top of having the OCD, I was struggling with anxiety, depression, yeah. you know, like, I don't know how to explain this to you. I'm not going to go tell my, Hey guys, I washed my hands 30 right, times a day. Right. Like, so just trying to navigate that. And like, again, when I say the, having addiction before I picked up the drink or the drug, it's because drugs and alcohol are the solution. It's the mannerisms and the behaviors that come into place. Mm. And so it's what I was doing and how I was feeling and the, the symptoms that I was going through, not only being pre-genetically just uh, disposed to addiction. Half my family struggles with addiction. And mm. so there was I, basically the odds were stacked against me. I mean, I'm German, Cherokee, and Irish. I should have had a stamp from when I came out of the womb saying like, do not give this kid any type of substance. Uh -huh. um, but so, I mean, there was, there was a lot of, like a lot of things. And my, my parents were, I mean, because the, the, the end of the story is they're the motivating factor. They're, they were a part of my moment of clarity why I ended up changing my life. And so they were so supportive through all of that. Mm. I mean, I put them through hell, yeah. Um, which was, which is, you know, very, very hard, but they're very, obviously very proud today. And, and, um, but yes, I think I went down a rabbit hole explaining no, the support that I had from that, people. What, what in particular did your parents do? Like, I, I read somewhere like, did like 10 rehab facilities deny you more? Not deny me. They happily accepted me. Or they accepted you. Or yeah. Okay. Expand on that. Well, so I went to I went to twelve different facilities. Twelve different facilities in a five year span. Um, so basically, I mean, I'd go and do a detox, a residential program, actively arrest the disease, get stabilized, come out, stay sober for a little bit, and then have to go back in. So were these places not that good or were you just like walls up no, you weren't willing to go there no it's it's not that these places aren't good i mean it's look treatment does work and recovery is possible uh -huh. but it's also somebody's got to be at a place where they're willing to get help they got to be in a place to surrender um you know they, they got to be willing to meet in the middle and yeah. what, nine ninety eight percent of the programs i went to in the beginning stages i was not willing to you know i, I yeah i got a problem but I had no intentions of really stopping. Yeah. So, okay. um, it's, yeah, no, it's no fault to the programs. It was definitely operator error. 
Yeah, you're like, I'm here, but you already knew in the back of your mind, like, I'm going to get out and keep living yeah. my life. Was, I was just, like I said, yeah. I was doing it to appease. Yeah. Appease At this life. time, are you like on TV? Like you're you're in the mix, you're in the, the scene, you're like yeah. the, the glamour guy. Like, you the, know. It was the height of it. I mean, yeah. I think there was actually an episode on the hills where Lauren came and visited me in rehab. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so, I, I mean, it was, that. it was a part of... Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a part of the, uh, can I hear that? So how, how was that really? Like, how are you, I'm just imagining, like, what the frick? I'm like, you're caught in this sea of LA, this show, mind you, that is popping off, right? You're so young, you're dealing with all this crap, but then you're dealing with like the fame and the this and the that, like, did you even like know what was going on or were you just living in it? Like, I, you know, I, I wonder. Yeah, no, I mean, the going through that experience, it was, it was very surreal. Um, you know, I'll never forget the moment when the first commercial aired because I was, we had no idea what the show was going to do. We didn't know the success it was going to have. And like, I'll never forget when that first, uh, whether it was a commercial or whether like the first episode came out and just when I went down to the gas station the next day, like how just everything changed and life was, it was completely different. And obviously when you're at 17, 18 years old, you're, 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 you're still not developed. Oh, you're, you're very, baby. you're still very impressionable. You're yeah. very impulsive. And so you take a person like me who had an overinflated ego with an underestimated sense of self-worth and, and you throw that type of exposure mm. to it, it just, it, it just adds fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think we were more, there's, you know, we were embracing everything that came with it. Like I said, we, we didn't know what we were, what we were getting ourselves into and there right. was nothing to really relate it to at that time. Yeah. So how many years was, was that? Uh, well the Laguna. Laguna was on for three seasons and then the Hills was on for like 10 and then the Hills came back in 2019, 20, 21. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's the show that never goes away. Yeah. You know, oh my gosh. It just keeps coming back. Yeah. Do you feel like um, from there you went on the rehab show, correct? Celebrity Rehab with yeah. Dr. Drew. Yes. Oh my gosh. How was that experience? You know, it's it was actually uh, a really good experience. Dr. Drew is an incredible person. Yeah. Um, I went into that show. I actually had a little bit of sobriety time prior to going in. And my motive of why I was going into that show was to change the public's negative perception of the way they perceive me. Because mm -hmm. I was like, hey, this is like a real reality show. You don't yeah. like act as stupid as you're going to act on there. Right. And going in sober, I kind of got like, you know, ahead of the game. I mean, I'm on there with like, you know, Janice Dickinson. I'm there with like Leif yeah, Garrett. Like all the characters. A yeah. lot of people that are really, unfortunately, that were struggling at that time. And so I was kind of like a background prop. And But I was able to really connect with some amazing individuals, some amazing, you know, peers and um very educated individuals that were able to be instrumental in my sobriety moving forward. So, mm -hmm. uh, I went in there with a the motive, but I ended up taking out, you know, a lot more than what I, what I initially went in to get. Yeah. So, but it was, it was a good experience. Like I said, I mean, people, the public and people in the industry have their, their thoughts around, you know, celebrity rehab and there's a bunch of, you know, it's just a bunch of you're exploiting these people. And I actually gained a lot out of it. And, and, I still to this day, talk to Drew all the time. And um, he was very instrumental in my sobriety. Mm, it's beautiful. Yeah. I look at it as like, I think it takes a tremendous amount of humility to be like this public figure and be like, here's my faults. Here's my traumas. Here's my addiction. And I am going to try to get better publicly. And I, I just think like, the, 
I res- that's mad respect to me. Like as a speaker and you know, when I get the people to open up and to go there with me to heal their wounds, they're not going to go there until I publicly tell them my traumas and my setbacks and my, so I, I really do want to commend you for that. And I just see you, you, you're constantly doing it, Jason. Like even when you had your setback a few years ago, like you just died to yourself and you went out there and said, guess what? I'm not perfect. This is what I went through. And it's it just not many people live their life like that. Well, I, I, I thank you very much. And it's taken a lot of practice and a lot of um, a lot of times falling and getting back up, you know, and but I found tremendous value when by expressing vulnerability, it creates humility. And mm. we live in a, a broken place in a broken world. That's and right. a lot of people struggle. They um, do. And, uh, you know, it's I, I truly believe this. And, and I, I mean, this wholeheartedly is there's no way I should have survived what I went through. Um, you know, and I'm not, you know, looking for sympathy or anything. It's just more of like just the, the car accidents, the, the, the amount I was used, this, the things that I went through, trying to take your own life. I mean, like how, if I even yeah. shared with you how I like, how I survived the suicide component, it's like, there's, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And just how God's worked in my life. I really mm-hmm. believe that he's kept me around. And again, from a very humble standpoint to be able to, to leverage my story and share it just to connect mm-hmm. with other people. And it's like when the Hills came back in 2019, 2020, going through what we went through and to be able to have and be in a place where I feel educated enough to share my knowledge around what I've gone through and to hopefully provide, you know, relatability and connectivity for people, but also hopefully some solution. Yeah. Um, you know, to be able to go back on the show, because I was, me and Ashley were not going to go back on. And right. of all people, right up the road, my the guy called the Harley doctor who works on my motorcycles and stuff. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. And he's a Christian guy. And he's like, dude, God, you, you don't have a choice. You're getting your but back on there and it's, you know, God's not done with you. And it was just, again, it was really cool to be able to go back on and, you know, leverage what we had gone through to share our experience, strength and hope. And, mm-hmm. and it was just amazing to see how many people, not only that struggle with addiction, but how many people were in my wife's shoes, because wherever there's an alcoholic or an addict, there's a codependent and sometimes they're just as sick, if not sicker. And so for Ashley to go in a spot, to be able to share her experience, strength and hope for me to be able to go on there and talk about mm-hmm. it, not lecture, but just to share our journey, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that reached out. Oh, it was so good. I was like, yeah, God is God's hand is all over you. It's so evident. Uh, your wife, Ashley, she's so beautiful. Thank I you. love like seeing your guys' family and everything you're creating. I know, though, before her, right, you were kind of the single, elusive. Living out know, in left field. Yeah, just kind of do whatever. <laughs> so like, tell me about you know, meeting her and what made her the one and, you know, how, how has that been for you? Ashley is, I'm married above my pay grade. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she is the first person, um, you know, she was the first, like, I mean, I had like one or two real, real relationships, but mm-hmm. she was like the first like person, like sober, connected, committed, like, you know, um, just fell in love with. And uh, really what was the, the point where I'm like, oh my God, this person's like definitely somebody that's I could see myself being with long term is I we had met a long prior to me getting sober and stuff, mm-hmm. like very, very, very vaguely. And then we'd reconnected when I had about a year of sobriety. And um I told her, I said, Hey, look, you know, if if you know my sobriety is my most important thing in my life and and um if I don't have this, I won't have anything else. And she just looked at me, she goes, I, I totally understand that I support that. I won't drink with you. And I was like, mm. what? Okay. And it went on for over, she didn't drink for over a year, year and a half, uh, to just support my sobriety. And I was like, that to me was cause 
I, I know if I don't have the sobriety, I don't have anything. And yeah. it was just like somebody that was willing to, and that's what a normal person should be able to do. First yeah. of all, is like yeah. people that don't struggle with alcoholism should be able to take it or leave it. Yeah. And so, uh, that was just a testament to it. Cause she still enjoys a glass of wine yeah. here and there, and she still goes out with friends. But, um, you know, it was, that was something that really stuck out to me in the early stages, because also when I first got sober, I was also, you know, getting a whole new group of friends just under like yeah. I, there was so much i was just trying to work through personally yeah and so just having that extra bit of support not that she needed to do that but the fact that she was willing was was really really incredible mm, yeah absolutely and then you know when you did have your relapse you had a child correct yeah. or okay yeah so i after five years of sobriety um and it's <laughs> i i not not that it's funny, but I, I try to joke, make light of things yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I basically after getting five years of sobriety, I stopped doing everything that I was doing to get to that five years of sobriety. So I stopped seeing my mentors, stopped seeing my sponsors, stopped mm. working the steps, stopped going to church, stopped doing all the things that I needed to be doing that mm. collectively got me to that spot. Because I always tell people consistency and st structure create safety. And I started to mitigate all those things. And I thought that I had this on my own. Best of my decision making gets me back to these places. So with no intent of really abusing God's honest truth, look, he dead in the eyes is I went back to a psychiatrist life is, and again, his life got full in a good way, uh, stopped doing the recovery stuff and just was more focused on the materialistic things. And, uh, went and saw a psychiatrist who knew my history, um, and was familiar with, you know, my background. And, uh, I'd, I'd been prescribed Adderall a long time ago when I was like 12, 13 years old. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. and, um, but after being in recovery and being somebody that loved cocaine, uh, yeah. probably not the best thing to give somebody pharmaceutical synthetic grade meth. And so, uh, instead, you know, I tell people I got uh, prescription dyslexia, uh, you know, about three months down the road, instead of taking one every 12 hours, I was taking 12 every one hour. And, and it just, it, it just went down a, a, a really deep hole. And I think the scariest thing though, is as I started to relapse and as I started to abuse the medication and, you know, I got into a drug induced psychosis, got into, you know, mm. having sleep deprivation, suicidal ideations. Yeah. And I went on for like nine months. Ashley saw what was going on. She did not understand. She, like I said, she only knew me sober. So she didn't really, <clears throat> she didn't work a program. She didn't go to Al-Anon. Right. So as this was happening, I was obviously able to manipulate her and it's just the disease. And, and so, um, I started drinking to basically, you know, to, to try to go to sleep. And, and this is, Drinking and using at first was fun. It became a lifestyle and it became a way of survival. So at mm. this stage in the game, it's not like I'm out there partying and I'm doing stuff. I'm like by myself yeah. in my house, you know, in the garage at two in the morning, pounding, bar, like, Ugh. you know, trying just to go to bed. Like yeah. the, the fun's out of it. It's, yeah. it's it completely exhausted it. And so, um, uh, but that went on and off, on and off for, for, you know, years because also working in the recovery space, still trying to advocate well, you know, I'm trying to help people while I'm dying inside. Like, again, not justifying no. what I was doing, but yeah. it was, it was, I was really a, in a, in a sick, sick place. And, but my motives were still to try to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it got to a place where finally Ashley got the, you know, appropriate guidance, appropriate direction. And, you know, I was intervened on and I was, uh, I was, uh, I was at a place of, okay, I've, Fun, game's over, you know, and so I ended up going to going to Hogue and um, uh, just short there, just a couple of days after my wife's water broke and she uh, was at, up on the third or fourth floor um, giving birth. So I had to go from the detox at the first floor up to oh. where my daughter was. How was that experience holding your daughter in that moment? Do you remember? Um, yeah, very. I thank God. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's really hard because I wasn't, I wasn't still, I was still detoxing. Um, 
you know, I was sleeping for like 48 hours and going up there and, um, you know, not being able to enjoy such a precious moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just that this really shows how cunning, baffling and powerful this is, because it's like, unless you have it, you won't ever understand the bondage that your brain gets put into. And mm -hmm. I call it like a survival gene is like the most, one of the most important moments in my life is happening and I'm not even present. Um, it's not that I didn't want to be, it's just, that's the addiction gene. Yeah. And that wasn't enough to stop because five, six days later, I ended up going back out and, um, you know, I didn't actively arrest the disease. I did not get stabilized. I did not do what I needed to do. And I have all the knowledge and I know what I need to do, but mm -hmm. it was like, wasn't willing to put forth that. It was just like, that's how, that's how insidious this thing is. And I know for me, I have to have a true disruption, um, to get back on track. And so it went back out for another, I don't know, like six, four, six months, whatever it was. Like I said, I don't keep track of that yeah. stuff. Like, um, uh, because there's so many things that had happened, but, um, went back in uh, after that, after that initial six months. And <clears throat> that's when I, that's when I made the commitment and, uh, really transformed again. And then went back on the show and had like nine months of sobriety. Oh, there's so much that happened. Just looking back, like, yeah. had nine, nine months of sobriety ended up having a day relapse that I called my, you know, I called Drew, I called a couple of people and they're like, dude, you just, it wasn't even a relapse. You basically you took a pill and, and, you know, cause I was, there was a thing I was going through with like body imaging, just like this, a bunch of stuff that I'd never experienced before yeah. going back on television and just like, there was so much stuff and, right. and, but caught it right away. But I still count that as, as I was trying to escape and, and I was, you know, I was not in the right headspace. And so, um, but December 17th, 2019 was the last time I've ever had a drink or a pill. Mm -hmm. So. Hold up. Are you ready to take your brand to another level? Maybe you might be thinking, brand, I don't have a brand. Oh yes, you do have a brand. And chances are, if you're listening to this right now, you also have a message that you are ready to get out into the world. Well, if that is you and you wanna take things to a whole nother level, when let's just face it, it's required in 2023, if you wanna stand out in a noisy market, then I wanna personally invite you to the It Factor Bootcamp Branding Edition. Now, this is not just any bootcamp. What this is, is a couple days of you away from your crazy busy life and we have curated two days of absolute brand integration. We are going to be helping you identify your brand message. We're going to be showing you how to create next level content, have a plan that matches whatever it is that you're selling and who you're selling it to. We're bringing in some of the best PR people in the world to teach you how to self-promote and then also how to stand out and to really create that halo effect, what I like to teach on. There's so many other details happening, but what this is, is an intimate two days with myself and my partner, Jake. And I promise you, by the time you leave, you will feel equipped and totally ready to take your brand to another level. If this sounds like something you're interested in, then join me in Southern California towards the end of July. Send me an Instagram right now at it's Emily, 
B-I-T-S-E-M-I-L-Y, send me the word bootcamp and I will send you all the details. But act fast because we are releasing this this week and we are limiting it to 50 spots so we can intimately work with you and also network. So if this is something you're into, go to my Instagram now and send me the word bootcamp. Thank you for sharing all that. It, it really, I hope like anyone listening right now, some people probably can relate. Maybe they're the spouse going through it. Maybe they've gone through it. I know for me, like it really, like learning all this from you is really opening my eyes a lot. Like I am big on breaking generational curses. And I look at my family lineage, and I'm sure anybody listening or you, like we can look back and we're like, okay, like divorce is just a thing in my fam. Like it's just a thing, right? Alcohol, abuse, sexual abuse, all of it. Um, how much, like in the beginning of our talk today, you mentioned, you know, your, not necessarily your upbringing, but your family history. Like, yeah. do you think that has to do with addiction, how much does that play into it? Well, I mean, not being a, a doctor is, is yeah. I'd love to have like, you know, Dr. Amen or Dr. Hedrick yeah. or somebody to be able to really break down and, and talk about this. Yeah. But yes, there is pre-genetic disposition to addiction and alcoholism. And like I said, half my family struggles with addiction and or mental health. And, but I will tell you since I've gotten, since I originally came into this July 23rd, 2010, uh, eight of my family members have now entered into sobriety. So it's been pretty empowering. It's been pretty powerful. And I'm the youngest of four kids and that's aunts, cousins, uncles, brothers, sisters, um, that have been dedicated and willing to turn their life around. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So it's, it affects, you know, and, and, um, you know, like I said, it's, I mean, there's addiction to, to the best of my knowledge and my ability. I mean, it really stems there is that pregenetic disposition, there's environment, there's, you know, there's traumatic situations and things that happen. Um, there's a lot of different variants that can come to it, but I really think it's in, in my family, it's, it's, it's ingrained in our DNA. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, and that's why for me, the more, and a lot of the stuff I do now is, is one, like you just stated is breaking a cycle. You know, I'll be the first in many, many generations that, uh, is raising a family sober. Um, and so not only that, but again, knowing that my kids are very, um, there's probably a 50% chance that they're going to have this, um, making sure that there is the most uh, preventable measures that are in place to make sure that they have an opportunity to succeed mm. is, is, in, is imperative to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, what do you do day to day now? Because something, you said something and it's like you were, you know, focusing on all the things that the day to day, you know, your relationship with God, like all the things you were, I always say you gotta you gotta take a shower every day, right? Yeah. Like it's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get to the top and we coast. And I'm like, the moment you think you've arrived, you've begun your decline, like whether that's in business or whatever. And I've been guilty of that too, where it's like I worked so hard and then I just like, what the frick? You just gonna let it all go, you know? Yeah. Uh so what does that look like day to day for you? <clears throat> Well, that's, that's the thing is, is even talking about 
like treatments, right? It's, it's, I always tell people it's not hard to get sober. It's hard to stay sober. Right. And so it's like, you can go to a treatment facility, you know, that's, why I think there's a big misconception. People will go away for 30, 60, 90 days and they're supposed to be magically fixed. Cause it's like, no, you're not going to go away for 30, 60, 90 days. And, and somebody that's been in a road of destruction for five, 10, 15, 20 plus years is going to fix that in, in 90 days. It's, it's a whole new way of life. And so for me, it is a daily reprieve. It's literally, I have something that I set up on. I have a daily structure, like I stated, consistency and structure create safety. Think for a baby, having little kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. When they are on routine, they thrive. When they're off of routine, they don't thrive. Yeah. And it's the same thing as for adults. It's no different. I mean, we're still worldwide that way. And especially for alcoholics and addicts, I feel like we definitely need that structure and the consistency. So when I wake up, I do a morning meditation. I read my Jesus Calling book, yeah. uh, my daily devotional. I do a gratitude list, not only three things I'm grateful for, uh, it's not only what, but why that's where the most important meat is. It actually really gives you uh, an opportunity to identify why you're grateful for those things. Uh, after that, I always incorporate uh, a little bit of time. I actually will do, <clears throat> I try as best I can to do a gratitude list with my daughter too. to spend quality time with them, her in the morning. Uh, but I send my gratitude list out that I write, um, you know, to a bunch of other guys in the, in recovery or that are, that want to be a part of that list. Um, and then after that, I always partake in some form of exercise uh, that could be as, as minimal as taking my dog on a walk, Pilates, kickboxing, the gym, but uh, exercise, your brain produces more potent chemicals than heroin. You just got to let it work. And so I'm very, very, very keen on, on activity and, and exercise. And then from there, I, uh, I, I go about my work day and uh, after, and I, I structure my schedule. So if my, it's, everything is based, it's God and sobriety and then family and then work and then, you know, yeah. and so on and so free time, yeah. play time, yeah. you know, friends, whatever. And uh, I actually just went over this with my therapist because I was misconstruing. I started to see like work life was getting crazy and all this stuff. And it's like, no, I have to put the things that are detrimental to my recovery, and my sobriety first, and then everything else will fall around that. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, it's, it's, it's awesome because I keep that at the highest priority again, restructured that. And at the end of the day, which is my favorite thing is I actually do, um, you know, I actually, me and my wife have our own little routine where we check in with each other to see how each other's days were going. Uh, I also attend Bible studies a couple times yeah. a week. I go to church. So that's, that's inter interactive throughout the week. It's not the day to day thing, but at the end of each day is I do a daily, a daily reprieve and an inventory, um, on my day. And I see where the areas where I fell short and the areas where I need to, you know, make amends or, or approve, but not only do I identify the things that are negative, and this is something that has been so huge in my life is actually identifying the things I did right. And mm. so I actually notice and be like, dude, you did really good with this, this, and this, like give yourself kudos yeah. to that. And so yeah. what that all does though, is when I go to put my head to bed and wake up the next morning, I have a fresh start. So everything is completely, is that day is, is history. Yeah. And so it's a new day. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So good. So, so good. I, I do some of that and I'm like, okay, there's other things like, cause we tend, you know, as achievers or any people, you're like, okay, what did I suck at today? Instead yeah. of no, what did I do good at? And something you mentioned in here, I I am a Jesus lover. I have been renewed, transformed. I love sharing my faith. Like when when did you become closer with God? Uh, how does that walk look yeah. for you? Um, very fortunate to never have an issue believing in God. Yeah, um, I was actually baptized in the Jordan River when I was thirteen, what? thirteen years old. Um, my dad took us out there and. <gasps> Um, but I, I, I would say I was one of those as, especially as I got older, <clears throat> never had an issue believing in God, but I was, I wasn't walking the walk, you know, I was, yeah. I was just, uh, I believe, but 
definitely was it was not following um, and doing the things. But I'd say within I'd say this last sobriety since these last three going on four years of sobriety is where my relationship is really deepened with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because I, I've learned when I try to do things my way, it just doesn't work. And the more that I've been willing and, and to turn it over on a daily basis, um, and that could be the biggest things to the smallest things. Like I came in today, I had a little bit of anxiety. Not, it's just I yeah. ate a little sh- too much sugar last yeah, night. Yeah, I had yeah. a little bit of anxiety. And I said, I pray. And I said, God, I'm turning it over to you. If the interview yeah. is great, great. If it's not, I know that's what it was supposed to be. It could be from that all the way to the biggest thing that I'm doing. And mm-hmm. not that this, this is a big deal. No, I, I mean, doing he these is th- going on E after this. No, so no. Just no. Be real. <laughs> but I'm just, but it's, 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 but like on a daily basis, it's yeah. not just like this. Yeah. It's, so it's like, yeah. I think explain people really maybe understand that it's like mm-hmm. everything i go into whether it's a meeting i don't care if it's something small right like, this, like i'm going to the coffee hey let me you know yeah. be of service when i walk into this coffee shop is there mm-hmm. somebody that needs me you know please mm-hmm. show it like the littlest things like that and and the more that i've done that the more that he's shown up and, the, and it doesn't mean like oh god's just going to take over and you just kind of cruise and coast it's like no right. you have to put forth effort yeah. you have to put forth energy and motive towards things but it's it's drawing closer to his word the bible mm-hmm. is, a li- is, is is a living breathing testament you know what i mean and it's it's something Uh that you can learn from every single day and just trying to incorporate that into my day-to-day life and and i have goals i have aspirations i you know but um i look at life differently today um you know i i i I look at what am i willing to sacrifice or what do i have to sacrifice to to give what's most important to me up like which is time with my family and my kids and Mm -hmm. and so it's things have changed where i really wanted to have a lot of the worldly things whereas yeah less is more to me now things yeah. are more simplistic and i'm still working on it um but uh i know that i can i've learned that i know what i'm doing in life i have a purpose i have a passion um you know and, and i know that the top priorities are god and family and, mm. um, amen end of it that's it don't you feel like there's just a peace that the holy spirit brings that you just cannot get from anywhere else do you feel that at all yeah the peace the peace that you yeah. get from that is Really, what really what I've been yearning for for so long, and it's amazing when you you look for all these years in the wrong places, and it was right underneath my nose the whole time. And um, you know, I and I think that's something too. Like what this whole thing has taught me is even just a different landscape and and look at life in general. Is the t- I'm so grateful, even though I, what I went through was it was gnarly, it was crazy. But all that years of just that personal experience and walking through those those you know those valleys and going through that stuff, it really helped me just even have a better understanding and appreciation for how many people are really sick and that are going through things. And right. I have so much less judgment today because yeah. I can look at people now and be like, yeah, not that I'm better yeah. by any means. I'm not a, I'm not equating to that at all. Yeah. Trust me, I have all my issues too. And but it's more of it's a better understanding. I used to jump to conclusion. I used to be uh, at a place where as opposed to pausing and, and understanding and, and and being reactive now i respond you yeah. know I, I am not reactive and, and aggressionary towards things it's like i'm like god man that person must be having a really hard day mm-hmm. and I'm not perfect with it but it's just it's it's allowed me to look at things differently yeah Have, does that make sense a hundred percent yeah when you like go through something and then you come out and then you have you have clear eyes it's like the wool's been pulled off your eyes. You see things so differently and you see the beauty in people. And you see, even if it's like, they look like a mess or they are a mess on paper or whatever, you see past that. And yeah. I, I think that's like 
that's how Jesus is, right? He yeah. sees past that. He's we're already good enough. Yeah. We don't need to like get accolades or make X amount of money. We're already good enough. Yeah. So now you're you're on a mission and you're working with Dr. Amen, correct? Yeah. And yes. tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, so the work with Dr. Amen is is incredible. So I mean, obviously I have a long history of not only addiction, but mental health. And I feel like the last 12 years, I've gotten pretty well versed and educated on on addiction. And the more and more I find out, like I said, just, you know, coming to conclusion around what I struggle with, with OCD and how much mental health really played into a whole picture of my addiction, I've gotten more and more in, interested and got connected with a mutual friend with Dr. Amen. And that just, um, it, it heightened my interest in the work that he was doing. Come to find out Dr. Amen treated my uncle 25 years ago oh for a gosh. brain tumor. Like there's all these like talking about God showing up and yeah. we started working together after I did a show, did this, you know, worked with him on the gala and worked with Natalie and just all these yeah. amazing things. And I was there. It, yeah. Fantastic. I saw you it, running that it, red it, carpet. Running up and yeah. down. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just like, you know, these, it was, and when I, I talked to Daniel and, and he basically, you know, we were talking, he goes, Jason, it's, um, you know, it's, it's cause I asked him like, why is he so infatuated with this and what's his, his goal with neuroscience and the brain and just wanting to make a difference and mental health. And mm -hmm. he goes, we've made such tremendous, uh, growth and strides in, in all areas of, of modern medicine, you know what I mean? With technology and just different things. But he goes, mm -hmm. the one area that we're deficient in is psychiatry. And I'm like, that's interesting. You say that he goes, yeah, we've been treating people the same way we have for the last 150 years. We basically cluster a bunch of symptoms and throw medication at it. Why are we not focusing on the organ that's directly impacted when we know that? And I'm like, okay, that's basically the best way I've ever heard put, you know what right. I mean? It's like, if you, have, if you have, if you have heart disease, we're going to focus on the organ that's directly yeah. impacted. You have something wrong with your liver, your kidney. And, and so when I saw that and I was, it was more intrigued, I was just like blown away when he was saying that. And then, and then, so get this too. So after, after going on Dr. Amon's show, and I shared with you that 20 years of what I was going through with OCD and one session with him and going through the scan my brain series, he's able to identify that I had pandas, which is pediatric autoimmune. I can't remember the rest. Forgive me. Yeah. Don't kill me, Daniel. Yeah. Um, but it. basically it's a, it's, it's where the, um, it's from strep throat attacks a part of your brain that creates OCD. What? So imagine if I had had that information or that knowledge even just understanding because again knowledge is power that would have brought in a lot more clarity because basically when i was diagnosed yeah it's clear that i have ocd i'm washing my hands till they bleed right like, it's like we understand that but knowing where it came from to be able to provide a better course of treatment and a better understanding it would have been so much more beneficial because i understood that i had ocd no idea where it came from thought i was this freak you know it would have been it would have been nice to know where it came from and and because it would have helped me understand and take yeah. a better course of course of action because back then and again, it's, that's the thing I love with Eamon too, and then doing the work that we do and being a part of the foundation is, is, is we're not against modern medication. We're not against, you know, the modalities that are in there, but it's right. like, how can we add on the work that we're doing to create a better opportunity for the best treatment plan for an individual to move forward? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, that's where I think in the industry, working so much in addiction is a lot of people don't have the best course or best option of a treatment plan. And that's what they're really able to unveil. Mm -hmm. And you're able to look at the brain, see it's, where it's deficient through spec imaging. You can see where the blood flow is not going through somebody's brain. You can see where it's inoperable. And it's like, there's things that you can do to fix that and where it's targeting. So it's just really, really, so it's like selfishly, I'm, I'm new. I've been there for, you know, almost three months now, but it's also, I'm so blown away by the work that's being done. So like selfishly, I'm like so infatuated because I'm learning about myself. But yeah. moreover, 
you know, the, the foundation's goal is to create a revolution in, in, in brain health. And so it's, it's, or actually, let me say that again, if you can change that, just because I forgot the first part is it's, it's we're wanting to end mental illness through oh. a revolution in brain health. And so I think that's, it's, 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 to me, it's not, even, it's, if somebody can do it, it's going to be Dr. Raymond. That's I mean, right. when you got 230,000 scans of people's brains and seeing where, you know, you have a, you know, over an 80% success rate of people that come through that have a better quality of life, it's, you know, it's, uh, something's working. And so the other thing from it too, is having a visual, you know, it's like when, I, especially in early stages of recovery, like you, you know, I used to always take pictures of our, my buddies that would go into treatment and stuff. It's like, Hey man, like, look what you look like now to see what you look like you know, 90 days after you get out, like imagine having actually in the early stages or prior to even going in, like what you're doing to your brain. Exactly. Like for me, I'm, I'm a visual learner. Me too. I mean, that would have changed a lot of yeah. the way I would have approached things. So there's, there's, like yeah. I said, there's so much there and I'm learning. There's so much there. There needs to be brain scans in every freaking rehab center. hundred percent. Like I, when I first learned about this and scanning your brain, I was in a relationship with an ex football player who was kept the weed, kept the, cocaine kept the and i literally brought him there oh no way yes and this is years ago and i was like we're gonna scan your brain you want to you want to see like what you can and it was like you know lies he would lie about it and i'm like no i know what's happening i'm not stupid <laughs> yeah you know um and i was there the day they got the scans back and it was like riveting for him to see the repercussions and not just from concussions and things, but like actually what is going on in your brain. Yeah. And I am so passionate about it. And I love that you're bringing awareness to it. And like, yeah, so like, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think just like the three pillars of, of the foundation is, is research. And so I think that's, again, knowledge is power. I've said that mm -hmm. 10 times today, but having that research and actually a better understanding of what this is, uh, going to do for individuals is is imperative. And then we also provide scholarships for those that need help but don't have the means or the resources to get the help that they need. And then the other thing is education. So we're creating a ton of different educational programs for all ages, all walks of life. And so it's, uh, it's really cool. It's really fun. Um, and just uh, so grateful for the opportunity. So great. Oh my gosh. What would you say here in closing to someone that's listening to this, that maybe they're dealing with someone who's struggling or maybe they are like, what, what would you say to them? Like words of advice, you know, whether they're deep in or they just think like, Oh gosh, I think there might be a problem here. I think like the biggest thing I could say is, is, is you're not alone. Um, you know, there's so many people out there that are, that are struggling and you know, you are worth it. Uh, don't give up. There is a brighter light at the end of the tunnel and you may not see it, but, you know, reach out to somebody, connect with somebody, pray, ask to, mm -hmm. ask to get connected with God. But, um, you know, I just, I, I encourage people to, to know that they're not dealing or battling with this by themselves. There is so many people out there. I mean, this is the leading cause of death in America for individuals 50 and younger is, is substance abuse. And I mean, you look at suicide at an all time high, it's, it's, um, it's very alarming. You know, and so it's, 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 no, you're not alone. There is help out there and, and, um, you know, reach out to us, you know, we, we can try to point you in the yeah. right direction. Yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, best, best thing is you can just, Instagram is always the easiest. Yeah. I think this day and age, either just my website, jasonwaller.com or at jasonwaller on Instagram. You're amazing. Thank you you're so amazing. much. I'm so blessed by you with this conversation and what it's going to do for people. And I will continue to pray for you and stay connected to you.
So thank, thank you, you for so being much. here. Appreciate it.